So now we are, have arrived at 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. We're just going to be looking at one verse today. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you for your word. We pray that it would bear great fruit in our lives. It's for your name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those pictures on Facebook, those of you that are still using Facebook, of, of Jesus and Satan having an arm wrestling battle. And there's like usually like a world underneath of them and sometimes it's like on fire or something very dramatic. And the, the caption will say something along the lines of, like for Jesus, ignore for Satan, scroll for Satan. And that's ridiculous. That is not biblical. It's not what we believe at all. Um, but I bring that up, one, because it's funny and we can laugh about it a little bit. Uh, no, no offense to those of you who have liked for Jesus before. Um, but but th- that kind of thing is silly. But it does point us towards the fact that there is a very real spiritual war that's happening all around us. And the stakes actually couldn't be higher. Because what's at stake is your very soul, friends. Maybe you've seen another one of those goofy pictures on Facebook where where there's Jesus and Satan both have a ballot. And Satan checks a box for hell, and Jesus checks a box for heaven, and it says, you get to cast the deciding vote for your eternity. And I was like, oh, man, that seems really compelling. Maybe I should, like, check a box or something somewhere. But friends, we are completely powerless to win the war for our souls on our own. And that's why Jesus came. To crush Satan forever. To crush Satan forever. To win the war for your soul's friends. Decidedly. The battle is over. The outcome is decided. God's people will be saved and Satan has no claim over them. Friends, if you're feeling weak today, feeling scared about the demonic or spiritual forces, the good news is that Jesus came to crush Satan and set you free from sin. In this Advent season, we've been asking the question, why did Jesus come? Why do we celebrate at Christmas the fact that Jesus came 2,000 years ago? How does that have any impact on our lives today? And one of the reasons that it has impact on our life today is because Jesus came to crush Satan and set you free from sin. That's one of the reasons why Jesus came. And so what I want us to do is walk through 1 John 3, 8. We're going to spend the next few minutes just looking at this one verse together. And and teasing out two truths. First one, the devil came to help you sin. And the second of those truths, Jesus came to stop your sin. To set you free. 
And friends, as we talk about stopping sin and fighting sin, I want you to know that that's not how you decide the, cast, the, the deciding vote in, in the battle for your soul. We don't earn our way to heaven by fighting sin. Jesus earned our way to heaven by crushing Satan forever and dying to forgive us of our sins. We fight our sin from a posture of victory. And some of you today don't know this Jesus who came to crush Satan forever. And our hope and prayer is that you would leave here today knowing him, embracing him, trusting him by faith. And you'll have the best Christmas ever. We don't fight our sin to earn our way in to God's family. We fight our sin because our God has already won the victory. Jesus came to crush Satan and set you free from sin. First thing I want you to know, the devil came to help you sin. The devil came to incite rebellion against God. He came to launch a war against God. And he thought he could win. And he couldn't. From the very beginning, his cause was doomed to fail. The name devil, the word devil actually means adversary or opponent. So by his very definition, the devil is against someone. He's against you, and he's also against God. He's against God forever. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So, so 1 John describes two teams. Those who are of the devil, those who are on Satan's team. And it describes those who are not of the devil, those who are of Christ, those who are for Christ. And, and what's the mark, what's the difference between these two teams? Those who are of the devil have been sinning. They make a practice of sinning. They sin and they're fine with it. It doesn't bother them at all. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. And why is that the mark of the devil's team, the devil's family? Because, 1 John 3, 8 continues, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. From the beginning. From the earliest chapters of the Bible, we're given a picture of the devil, an adversary, who is working to undermine God's cause and to incite rebellion. The story of the Bible begins in Genesis chapter 1, and it doesn't take but two chapters for Satan to enter the picture and begin to, to fight for his dastardly cause. And in Genesis chapter 3, everything is turned on its head when Satan sneaks into the garden paradise that God had created for his people and turned everything upside down by turning humanity against their creator. Let me read that for you, that story for you from Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent, that's Satan, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So we're set up the story here with a reminder that Satan is tricky. He's not a truth teller, he's a liar. He's coming with a crafty conspiracy. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. 
But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is the first mention of the devil in Scripture. And it proves what John says in 1 John 3, 8, that the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Because the devil snuck into the garden paradise and he told Adam and Eve three lies. The first thing he says is, did God really say that? The first thing he does is seek to undermine the trustworthiness of God's word. The first lie he tells is that God's word isn't trustworthy. He keeps going and he says, he says, you will not surely die. God had given Adam and Eve one prohibition. Don't eat the forbidden fruit or you will die. And Satan says, you will not surely die. Sin isn't that bad. The consequences aren't that real. And then he goes on and he questions the character of God. And he says, if you eat the forbidden fruit, you'll be made like God. And he says, you will be like God if you eat the forbidden fruit. He's saying, you will not surely die. He's telling you that you need sin to truly live. Those are lies, friends. Friends, the devil has been telling these same lies from the beginning. He tells us those same lies today, so we need to be equipped with the truth to fight these things. So Satan tells you, did God really say? Satan tells you that God's word isn't trustworthy. But the truth is that God's word alone is trustworthy. God alone is free from deception. The crafty serpent coming in and, and undermining the trustworthiness of God is the height of irony. Because God's word alone is trustworthy. 1 John 1.5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There's one person in all of the cosmos that you can trust without fail who will never disappoint you, and he is the living God. He is light, he is truth, and in him is no darkness or deception at all. Satan says, you will not surely die. Sin isn't that bad. But the reality is that sin separates us from God. 1 John 1, 6. If we say... If we make a claim we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Satan says you will not surely die. And the truth is your sin is costly, friends. It will kill you. It will separate you from God forever. And Satan says you'll be like God. You need sin to truly live. But the truth is, that sinners, 1 John 3, 8 says, are of the devil, not like God. And another irony in Genesis chapter 3 is that Adam and Eve were already like God. They were made in his image. They were given dominion, his authority to rule over all of the earth. They were already like God. Satan was lying to them, telling them, you, if you want to truly live, you've got to sin against God. You've got to rebel against God. 
Satan was telling them to jump off of a cliff to get something that they already had. It's insanity. God is holy, and that's where life is. So when Satan tells you that you need sin to truly live, you need sin to be happy, cling to the fact that God is holy, and that's where true life is. 1 John 3, a few verses up on your page, verses 2 through 6. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Jesus is coming back, and in that day, every one of his people will be perfectly holy and pure. It's a promise. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared, Jesus appeared, in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. The devil will lie to you and tell you that you need sin to truly live, but God's word tells us the truth that sin leads to death, and it's holiness that leads to life. And that's why God is bringing that about in his people. The message of the Bible is never be holy so that you can get with God. The message of the Bible is always, Old Testament and New Testament, always. You are God's people by grace. He's chosen you out of his mercy. So make yourselves holy so that you can be like him. Make yourselves holy so that you can be closer to him. The devil has been telling these same three lies from the beginning. Friends, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And the old dog is still using the same old tricks. He's telling you the same lies. He's telling me the same lies that he told Eve in the garden. So the devil says, did God really say? God's word's not trustworthy. And maybe there are people here today who are struggling with pornography. And Satan tells you, told you this week even, did God really say? God's word isn't trustworthy. God doesn't know what he's talking about. Pornography's not that bad. The Bible doesn't really say anything about it. That's a lie. All of those are lies. Because the truth is that lust is sin. And it separates you from God. People, Satan tells you, you will not surely die. Watching pornography is not that big of a deal. It's not going to hurt anyone. It's just a private thing. You can indulge yourself. That's a lie. That's a lie. The truth is that watching pornography actually hurts you. Psychologically, your brain is being rewired. And it also hurts others. Irrefutably, Pornography has, is the number one cause of human trafficking in the world today. In cities just like ours. Satan says, you will not surely die. It's not that big of a deal. It's a lie. And Satan lies to you and he says, you'll be like God. Porn will make you happy. Porn will gratify your desires. 
That's a lie. It leads to death and loneliness. And so men and women, if you are struggling with pornography use, know that Jesus came to silence those lies forever. And they're lies. So drag that sin into the light and find freedom. Pornography is not the only sin in the world today. Maybe some of you struggle with anger. And Satan tells you these same three lies. Friends, you could put any sin in that blank, and Satan's going to tell you these same three lies. He's going to tell you that God's word's not trustworthy. And that's going to lead you to say things like, I'm not angry, I'm just impatient. But no matter what you call it, the truth is anger is sin. God's going to tell you, you will not sure, or Satan's going to lie to you and tell you, you will not surely die. Sin's not that big of a deal. Your anger's justified. But God's word tells you that anger is a sin and it will always harm you. Sometimes our anger harms others. It always harms us. I've shared this with you before, but this is fascinating to me that when we get angry, even just a little bit, our brain shunts blood away from itself and towards our muscles. It's like a fight or flight response. Your body is physically preparing itself to punch someone when you get angry. And so what's the consequence of that? It leads to increased heart rate, blood pressure, breathing rate, and temperature. And thus, it causes headaches, insomnia, high blood pressure, and even heart attacks or strokes. Friends, your anger is literally killing you, and Satan is lying to you, telling you it's not that big of a deal. You'll be like God. You need this to truly live, and it is literally physically killing you. Satan is lying to you and telling you, you'll be like God. You need anger to truly live. But the truth is, friends, that true life is found in self-denial. Generosity is the way to life, not demanding your own preferences. Friends, the devil has been telling these same three lies, sinning from the beginning. And now you know its tricks. I've given you every one of his tricks. You know exactly what he's going to pull on you. You know the truth now. And yet we often still fall for it. And so that's why Christ came. Not only to reveal a set of truths that you could use to confront Satan's lies, but to set you free. Friends, if I stood here today and I said, you impatient husbands, Jesus is coming for you. You pornography users, Jesus is coming for you. You angry men and women, Jesus is coming for you. You lustful women, Jesus is coming for you. What would you think? You'd think, snap, I'm in trouble. But friends, Jesus is coming not to condemn you, but to set you free. Do you see what the reason I just told you about all those lies is to show you that your sin is going to kill you. It is slavery. It is not freedom. So stop listening to Satan's lies and start listening to Jesus because he came to set you free. He came to set you free. John's gospel. Some of the most famous verses in the Bible today. John's gospel. John 3 verse 16. 
For God loved the world in this way. How did God love the world? This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world because we did a perfectly fine job of that on our own. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Friends, Jesus came, and he came to set you free from sin forever. He came to crush Satan's work forever. So if you're feeling ashamed because you've listened to Satan's lies, if you're feeling ashamed because you've even lied to yourself about the consequences of your sin, if you're feeling ashamed today because you know that you messed up this week, Jesus' message to you is not condemnation but life. He came not to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. It's the best news in the universe. Jesus came to crush Satan and set you free from sin. Which leads to our second point. The devil came to help you sin. Jesus came to stop your sin. Jesus came to silence Satan's lies and end sin's hold over your life. 1 John 3.8 continues, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Remember from the beginning of this verse, the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So what does John mean here when he says that, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil? Jesus came to destroy sin. Jesus came to stop sin forever. Jesus came to destroy that which is killing you. Your sin is a cancer, and Jesus is life-saving chemotherapy. He will radiate the sin out of you. 1 John 3, 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Jesus came to set you free from sin forever. John Piper's a Bible teacher, and he says, Jesus is not a killjoy. He opposes that which kills joy. Jesus is not a killjoy. He opposes that which kills joy. Joy. Jesus came to crush your sin, to set you free. You're not a slavery anymore. If you're a Christian here today, and you're saying, I just don't think I'm ever going to be able to stop this. Remember that promise. That the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. It's not true. You're not hopeless. You're not hopeless. No matter what dastardly sin you might put in that category, I just don't know how I'm going to beat this. Jesus came to destroy it, to rip it out of your heart, to set you free. How? How does Jesus fight sin? What does this actually look like? The first thing is that Jesus died to forgive your sin. 1 John 1.7 
If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Friends, we are sinners through and through. And as a result, we have deserved and earned a, 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 a massive punishment. We have earned death apart from God forever. And that's why Jesus died. Jesus gave himself in your place. The Son of Man didn't come to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. Jesus died in your place, friends. So if you're not a Christian, look to the cross and find forgiveness today. Know that you are condemned, but that Jesus can set you free. He really can. And those of you that are Christians, remember this truth that Jesus died to forgive your sins. Do you really think he's going to give up on you that quickly? It's like, gee, I can't believe they did that again. This is like the third time. No. He died to forgive your sins. This is why he came. He's not giving up on you ever. What if you sin seven times? What if you sin 70 times seven times? He's not giving up on you. Your sin is always met with grace in Jesus because that's who he is. He is kind. So friends, come to him and find life. And if you're not a Christian, your sin is not met with grace in Jesus. You are under the righteous condemnation of God unless someone else dies in your place. What are you waiting for, friends? Come to know this risen Savior, Jesus. And that's the good news, that Jesus did not stay dead. He rose from the dead. Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus' ministry to you is not just to bring you back to square zero so that you can try again and maybe not mess it up this time. Jesus' ministry to you is to bring you all the way home. Jesus did not merely come to get you out of hell. Jesus died to bring you all the way back to himself. Jesus died to forgive your sins. And he is alive, friends. Death had no hold over him. And so he is risen from the dead. He's still alive today. And he is working to cleanse you. 1 John 1.9 if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's a great promise. It gets even better. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, Jesus is at work in your life to cleanse you. To cleanse you. So think back a moment. You said a moment ago, you hypothetically said, I'm having a dialogue with you today, I guess. But you said a moment ago, I'm never going to get over this. I'm never going to crush this habit. This has got me. I'm just going to be angry forever. I'm going to watch pornography 
or listen to pornographic audio until, until the end of life because I'm addicted. I've got no hope. Friends, do you really think that your sin or your desire is more powerful than the grace of God? It's not. It's not. Jesus died to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You are not alone, and you never will be. The battle has been won. The outcome is sure. A lot of you have been watching the World Cup. The World Cup would be a lot less interesting to watch if you knew that it was fixed. If you knew from the very beginning. I mean, this has been a wild World Cup, right? All sorts of upsets. What if you knew from the beginning every one of those upsets? It would have gotten really boring. Would have gotten really boring. Well, friends, we are playing in a fixed World Cup. And maybe the games are still going to be exciting. Maybe there's going to be lots of passing, and and we're going to have to work really hard to get the ball to the end of the field. But the victory is sure. The victory is decided. It's certain. And here we are in the middle of a battle. What's that going to look like? What is your day-to-day life going to look like knowing that Jesus came to crush Satan and set you free from sin? Because while that is true, objectively and finally, that Jesus died to forgive your sins, we don't always feel that that's our reality today, right? Sometimes it seems like if Satan is crushed, then maybe he's like, crushed into my heart because he's really close and it feels nasty all the time. It doesn't feel like we're free from sin all the time. We live in the midst of Jesus' victory already accomplished and yet not yet fully realized. And so we have the opportunity, friends, to live out Jesus' victory. To fight the battles that Jesus has already certainly won. And you can read it in the Bible. You can, you can keep reading Revelation 19. Jesus is going to be, or, or not Jesus, Jesus is going to cast Satan into a pit forever. Some people have this idea that hell is Satan's kingdom, and if you die as a sinner, then you're going to go there and he's going to poke you with a fork all day. Not true. Satan is sent to hell. Satan is punished in hell. Revelation chapter 19, 20. Go read about it tonight. Satan is not going to have the victory. He will be crushed forever. And now we fight a battle that we know we will win because Jesus is on our side. There is no cosmic arm wrestle. So what does it actually look like? Well, you have to like for Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Not true. Some of you are like, oh, finally, he's coming back to that. Erase that if you wrote it down. What does it actually look like to fight sin today? We can laugh about this because it's amazing. We have the victory. Five steps that I want to share with you today. First step, confess your sin. Confess your sin. There's a clear connection throughout Scripture that confession of sin leads to God's grace and God's help. Confession leads to life. Look again at 1 John 1, 8 and 9. We've read it a lot of times today, but look at the options here. 
there's two options. If we say, option one, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Not a great option. I don't know about you. Let's keep seeing. Maybe there's something else on the menu. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's the difference between option one and option two? The confession of sin. Friends, if you sit here today and say, like, I'm fine, my sin's not that big of a deal, you will not have victory this week. But if you confess your sins to God and to one another, you will find life. James chapter 5 says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. God's plan is that you would confess your sins and that that would lead to life. Step one, confess your sin. Number two, have confidence in the work of Jesus. Look to the cross where Christ died to forgive your sins. Look to the empty tomb, knowing that Christ is alive and he's able to help you today. Look to those things as objective realities, historical facts that prove your forgiveness if you are trusting in Christ. And trust the unchanging character of God. Knowing he's not going to get tired of you one day. He's not going to run out of grace. He's always been kind and he's always going to be kind. Have confidence in the work of Jesus. Number three, confront the lies of Satan. Satan is telling you, God really say, God's word isn't trustworthy. He's telling you, you will not surely die. Sin isn't that bad. He's telling you, you will be like God. You need sin to truly live. Those are lies. The truth, friends, let me remind you one more time because this is crucial. Satan says, did God really say? And we need to respond with the truth that God's word alone is trustworthy. He alone is free from deception. Satan tells you, you will not surely die. Sin's not that big of a deal. Friends, God's word tells us that God alone is holy, that sin separates us from him, and that there are real consequences. Satan tells you, you will be like God. And God's word tells us that that's a lie. 1 John 3, 8, sinners are of the devil. They are not like God, they are of the devil. They are the exact opposite of God, as you could be. Sinners are of the devil. God is holy. That's where life is. That's where life is, friends. So don't just rehearse these truths. But when you're faced with a temptation, remember them and look at your heart. Because the goal of Christianity is not just to obey on the outside. The goal of Christianity is to be transformed on the inside. God's not just after your hands, he's after your heart. The heart in the Bible is the core of who you are. Everything that you want and say and think and do flows out of your heart. Our goal isn't just to stop an action or modify a behavior. Our goal is to be transformed from the inside out. And so when you're faced with a temptation, don't just say to yourself, stop it. Say to yourself, what am I trusting in? 
What do I believe will make me happy? And compare that to God's word. What does God's word say will make you happy? What does God's word say will be the consequence of this? What am I trusting in to keep me happy and safe? Don't just look at your heart, look at your mind as well. Sometimes when we're faced with sin, we just say, stop it. And we don't ask ourselves, well, what lies am I believing right now? And what truths do I need to replace those lies with? Confess your sin. Have confidence in the work of Jesus. Confront the lies of Satan. And number four, connect with the Spirit of God. Friends, there's a war for your soul. There is a war for your soul, and you are powerless to win this battle on your own. In a moment, I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read a, a portion of it to you now. Ephesians 6, 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the present place, in the heavenly places. We're at war, friends. And our enemy is pretty intimidating. So what does Paul say in Ephesians 6, 10? Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Connect with the Spirit of God. You cannot win this battle on your own. You cannot fight sin on your own. You might be able to improve yourself a little bit, but you cannot change your heart. You need God to do that. Friends, depend on God to strengthen you, to empower you. Not your own strength. Your own strength will never be sufficient to fight sin. Remember promises like 1 John 1, 8, 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Connect with the Spirit of God. And number five, commit to stop sin. Because while the victory is sure, we are called to fight. And while God the Holy Spirit is our strength, we are called to use his strength. A, a Bible teacher that I like calls this dependent discipline. We discipline ourselves for godliness, 1 Timothy 4, but we're completely dependent on God the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. What does it look like to fight sin like this? Committing to stop sin, it looks like dependent discipline, fully trusting in God the Holy Spirit to help you. It looks like actual accountability, not just giving these like trite phrases like, ah, oh, yeah, man, I messed up this week. Been a rough week. No, actual accountability. I sinned against the Lord and I need your help. I need you to ask me these questions next week. Dependent discipline, actual accountability, serious application of Scripture, looking to God's promises and saying, I believe those for my life, looking at God's warnings and saying, God, press those into my heart so that I take sin seriously, and perpetual prayer, because this battle is not our own. We need to pray without ceasing if we are going to conquer sin. Dependent discipline, actual accountability, serious application of Scripture, and perpetual prayer. What does it actually look like to fight sin? We confess your sin. 
have confidence in the work of Jesus, confront the lines of Satan, connect with the Spirit of God, commit to stop sin. And friends, we fight sin, let me remind you, not to earn God's love. You could never earn God's love. We fight sin because we belong to God and we want to stop infringing on his property. And we belong to God, friends, because Jesus gave himself to purchase us. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Friends, I tell you these things because Jesus came to set you free. Jesus came to set you free from sin and to crush Satan forever. The victory is sure and you're invited today to walk in it by God's grace alone. I'm going to invite the music team up now. We are at war, friends. Our strength is not enough. We have to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And so as we close this time, I want to read with you Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the blessed breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Friends, we fight this battle in the strength of the Lord and in the strength of his might. Take up the whole armor of God and fight sin, not to earn God's love, but because we already have it.